Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to talk about the Michigan Republican Party's leadership decisions, which leave a lot of rank-and-file Republicans confused and a little anxious. Christina Caramo lost to Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson last year, but now will lead the Republican Party into the future. Will it work? We'll hear perspectives from a number of folks and from you on the phones and on social. That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and I'm Really glad that you decided to join us today. Pretty wild state convention over the weekend for the Michigan Republican Party. And the top line news out of it was that Christina Caramo, an election denier who to date has not conceded defeat in her 14-point loss in last year's Secretary of State race, was elected chair of the Michigan Republican Party. Yes, somebody who says... Our elections are fraudulent, will now lead one of the two major parties in our state. She won the seat on the third ballot by defeating fellow election denier Matthew DiPerno, who was defeated last year by incoming uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel. Karama was able to defeat DiPerno, who was uh, again, also unsuccessful last year, despite Donald Trump's endorsement of DiPerno for state chair. By winning the vote, Karamo becomes the first African-American chair of the state GOP. That's an important milestone. It also makes this the first time ever that both major parties in our state will be headed by black women because Lavora Barnes has secured a second term as chair of the state Democratic Party. Karama spoke about what she believes the Republican Party needs from its chair following her victory at the convention. We want to listen to just a little of what she said. You may not always like me, but you know I'll keep my word. And that's what we need as chair and co-chair of the Michigan Republican Party. We need to fight to secure our elections. It's the reason I did not concede after the 2022 election. Why would I concede to a fraudulent process. Conceding to a fraudulent process is in an agreement with the fraud, which I will not do. She says she has no plans to concede the 2022 election because it's part of a fraudulent process. Now, this is a dramatic change in state Republican leadership. Outgoing party chair Ron Weiser, who served three stints in the position, was not even visible at the convention over the weekend. And to be sure, a lot of longtime Republican officials and supporters who helped the party achieve decades of sustained success in our state chose not to attend the convention, which raises questions about unity within the party. 
Karamo takes over leadership at a time when the party faces a lot of challenges following really historic losses in last November's election. In addition to losing all three statewide races, the party lost control of both houses in the legislature, uh, something that hasn't happened in almost 40 years. Supporters of Karamo believe that she was the best candidate in the Michigan GOP to chair the party and to form coalitions within that party. And for her part, Karamo touts prioritizing GOP in independent and JFK Dem type strongholds previously ignored by the Republican Party. She also talks about the restoration of Michigan Republican Party credibility, strategy, and tactics as being at the top of her list of priorities. But what does this really mean? What does it say about the state of the Michigan Republican Party? Why did people vote for her over other candidates? And what are her plans for the party? Also important, uh, how do establishment Republicans, uh, folks who have been stalwarts of the party for a really long time, feel about Karamo as chair? I don't imagine that the problems that they have been identifying with raising money, with winning elections, are going to get any easier uh, with her at the helm. A little later, we're going to talk with Republican State Rep Steve Cara about why he voted for Karamo at the convention. We'll also talk with Bill Nowling, a former campaign spokesman for Republican Governor Rick Snyder, about what he believes the Karamo election says about the state of the party. But first, we're joined by Detroit News State Politics reporter Craig Mogger. He attended the Michigan Republican Convention, and he joins us now with the latest following Karamo's victory. Craig, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, thank you so much for having me this morning. So I think a lot of people were a little surprised by the outcome over the weekend. Uh, but uh, back up and tell us how Karamo got herself in position to win this right race, despite her, her really poor performance in her bid for Secretary of State, the idea of taking someone who lost a statewide contest by 14 points and saying this is going to lead our party into the future. It's at least an unorthodox uh, uh, way to approach it. Tell, tell us how we got here. Yeah, I mean, even if you go back to 2018, you know, when Christina Caramo ran for Secretary of State, that was actually her second campaign for public office. In 2018, she ran for a seat on the Oakland County Commission and she lost in the Republican primary 60 to 40 to someone else who then went on and lost in the general election. So she really has no record of actually winning elections in the state of Michigan. What she does have, however, is a direct connection to this election conspiracy theory movement. And she's been at the forefront of it. And what happened in the weeks and months after the November 2020 election is Donald Trump and his supporters attempted to overturn Michigan's election was that Christina Caramo gained prominence, and she stood by those theories. As other Republicans who advanced these claims about corruption and fraud in the election kind of moved away from them in an attempt to win general election races, Christina doubled down on them. She has not hedged her statements in any way. And that's really, I think, what drove her to victory on Saturday. The delegates at this convention overwhelmingly support these false and unproven claims about our elections in Michigan. And they see Christina as someone who's a fighter 
and who's going to push for them no matter what. As I talked to delegates, that word fighter kept coming up. Matt DiPerno, her top opponent, has also, you know, advanced these claims. But when he was running for attorney general in the fall of 2022, he tried to distance himself a bit from those statements Mm -hmm. and tried to talk about other issues in an attempt to win over swing voters. He wasn't successful, but he outperformed Christina by five percentage points in Mm -hmm. that race. Uh, So let's talk about the sort of backdrop of of all of this there is a pretty epic battle going on inside the state party uh, over two things as i see it one is support for and from donald trump the former president of the united states the other is this idea that uh, the most important issue or one of the most important issues is this idea of election fraud. And we should be very blunt in saying that no one has produced even a shred of evidence that the elections that they say were fraudulent uh, were compromised in in any way. Uh, but, but talk about inside the party, uh, these two forces and how they are ripping the party apart and why uh, the election denial issue is still so powerful inside uh, the party. The idea that uh, that both candidates, in fact, for party chair were election deniers, I think says a lot about how appealing that narrative still is to people who consider themselves Republicans. Yeah, I think this is something that kind of started with Trump, as in that Trump was the person who was initially driving these claims that there was somehow fraud in the 2020 election that had this race stolen from him and given to Joe Biden. But since then, this has moved away from Trump. I mean, as you stated, Trump endorsed Aperno. Trump in the gubernatorial election in 2022 in the primary, he endorsed Tudor Dixon. And a lot of people who are described in some media outlets as Trump loyalists, they vocally disagreed with Trump's pick of Tudor Dixon. They preferred other candidates that they thought were more like-minded to them within these people at the base of the party, Garrett Saldano, Ryan Kelly. So there was some distance created between them and Donald Trump. And then in this chair race, they didn't agree with Trump's pick of Matt DiPerno because they thought that Caramo embraced their beliefs about the election more strongly. So I think what we have seen play out is there's some, some distance being created between Trump and these people at the base of the party. I mean, that's who these delegates are. These are the people that are want to have a say in the party's future. They'll go out there and knock doors. These are really the activists that drive the party. They're now more closely aligned in what I'm seeing and hearing with these statements about the election and less closely aligned with Trump. But there, you know, of course, is a tie there because Trump started all of this. So it's really a complex web that, that's going on here. But it's a web that has enabled someone like Christina Caramo to win this race, even with Trump heavily backing her opponent. I mean, it, Trump was all in on DiPerno. I mean, he can say and, and put out on True Social what he wants now, and he has been saying some things about basically Caramo's victory is a victory for him. But he wanted Matt DiPerno to win this race. His campaign lawyer, Christina Bob, was at the convention on Saturday working the convention floor for Matt DiPerno. He wanted DiPerno to win. This Caramo victory says so much kind of about what is driving the base of the Republican Party right now. And it's not so much Trump. It's frustration and 
false claims about how elections are run. Mm. I'm talking with Craig Mogger. He's a politics reporter uh, for the Detroit News. Uh, recently uh, was at the Republican State Convention here in Michigan uh, over the weekend where they elected new leadership, Christina Caramo, who was their candidate for Secretary of State last November, uh, will be the party chair going forward. Uh, she lost that race against Jocelyn Benson last November by 14 points, has not conceded because she says that the process was fraudulent. Uh, that line of thinking, that narrative, uh, is one of the really powerful ones that's driving Republican politics in our state right now. We would love to hear from you uh, during the conversation as well. Give us a sense of what you make of the direction that the Republican Party is headed. Are you somebody who considers yourself a Republican or a conservative? Uh, What do you think about all of this? What do you think about Christina Caramo? What do you think about the lingering narrative that somehow elections, every election that they lose, in fact, uh, Republicans uh, are some Republicans are saying uh, were were fraudulent. Uh, we would love to hear also from folks who were uh, delegates who attended the state Republican convention. Uh, what did you think of the process and the outcome? What do you believe is uh, positive about the, the the party's future. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation uh, uh, that way. Um, so how will the Michigan GOP look different now that Christina Caramo is chair, uh, Craig. Um, She's talking about uh, an agenda of unity, right? That she can be a bridge builder, presumably with, uh, uh, you know, old old school Republicans who've been really uh, skeptical of of her and other people who are spinning this election denial uh, narrative. Of course, uh, they are also really skeptical of former President Donald Trump. Is that a realistic goal for Christina Caramo? Is that, or is this um, more likely to, to, I guess, enhance the split inside the party? I mean, I would definitely say it's likely to enhance the split within the party. I mean, she has a vision for the Republican Party that is strikingly different from where it is today. And she would acknowledge that. I mean, she put out a document during this race for chair that outlined her plans for the party. And it directly said in the document that individuals that do not uh, treat election corruption, as she phrased it, commiserate with a threat to national security shall not have positions within the Michigan Republican party. So that says to me, that someone who does not agree, and there are many people within the Republican Party who do not agree with her thoughts about what has happened in recent elections, that those people do not get positions on state committees. They do not get appointed positions that may come through the Republican Party. So that right there is going to shift how the Republican Party operates by driving out people that might bring a different viewpoint on all of these election issues. You know, she is going to have a lot of sway over a lot of things going forward. I mean, there are establishment Republicans who are saying, oh, her impact will be some, somewhat negated because she's not going to be able to do that much. Our political system is built around two parties. There are benefits to the Republican Party apparatus that are created in state law, mm-hmm. and she now wields those benefits. 
One of them, for example, I'll just throw out, is that she will get to appoint members of the board of, she'll get to nominate, I should say, members of the board of state canvassers. The chair of the Republican Party gets to, every two years, submit three names from which the governor must pick one person to serve on the board of canvassers. This is the panel that certifies our election. So if she is picking people who think that election fraud is a security threat, that seems to indicate that there could be issues down the road with those individuals certifying elections. That could be a major, major problem in this state. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Craig Mogger of the Detroit News. Always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about this new chapter uh, in the story of the Michigan Republican Party. We're going to be joined by Bill Nowling, a longtime Republican political communication strategist, used to work for Governor Rick Snyder. Hear what his take is on the state of the Michigan Republican Party. Also want to get going with you guys on the phones and on social. Call and tell us what you make of the new leadership of the state Republican Party. Were you somebody who was at the convention over the weekend? Were you somebody who was kind of watching on social media as I was, watching with a little bit of anxiety? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us. We can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and I'm always really glad you have decided to join us. We are talking about the election of Christina Caramo as state Republican Party chair over the weekend, uh, a milestone that has a lot of longtime institutional Republicans expressing concerns over the direction of the party, something they've been doing for quite some time, uh, dating really back to the rise of uh, Donald Trump as a prominent figure in Republican politics and the issue of election denial, which took hold after uh, the 2020 uh, presidential election. To help provide some insight into why so many Republicans are concerned, we're joined now by longtime Republican political communication strategist Bill Nowling, who previously worked for Rick Snyder during his first campaign for Governor Bill. Welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. It's always great to be here. Yeah. You know, the thing I wanted to note is I also worked for, for Governor Engler, and I was just on a call with uh, some fellow Republicans who were talking about this very issue. Mm-hmm. And every one of them were rock-solid Republicans from the Engler era. 
So, you know, this is not, you know, we're not a fringe group within the Republican Party. I think <laughs> that there is, you know, quite a bit of momentum building around, you know, folks that are saying, what the hell happened and yeah. how, how can we fix it? I mean, and I'm not sure we and I'm not sure we can. I mean, you know, for I mean, a long time, I'm, as you point out, this was the Republican Party, right? The party of Milliken and Engler, uh, the party of Bill Schuette and Mike Cox, uh, you know, folks who uh, represented a pretty broad spectrum of, of ideology on the right, but who who hewed to uh, some institutional ideas that seem now to, to have fallen uh, into disfavor and in some cases, I mean, with someone like Christina Caramo, um, I mean, there's not even an acknowledgement of the importance of of those institutions. So, 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 tell me how we got here. Uh, as you point out, this was not what the party was like just a few years ago. Yeah, I think there's we have a perfect storm that's been brewing. And, you know, I think it would be disingenuous for anybody who's been a Republican or been a Republican activist to say, you know, we didn't see something like this coming because we have seen these fringes that the current chair, and I'm not going to mention their name, um, the current chair uh represents, they've always been there in in the Republican um universe for for lack of a better term they've been there they've been on the fringes and they've not really coalesced um as a group for a lot of different reasons but i think over time you know we saw the influence of people who think this way or don't think this way depending on your point of view um or don't think at all i guess um but i you know certainly redistricting and the gerrymandering that went on over the years to uh, create non-competitive seats forced more uh, extreme candidates on either side of the ledger, depending on what type of seat that it was. I think that social media allowed people who were otherwise on the fringe and disassociated from the rest of the group, it gave them an opportunity to link up with other like-minded people so where they felt a little bit more emboldened. Um, and I think that, you know, we, so I was thinking about this, uh, you know, this, I always like to think of metaphors and, um, and, you know, the, and the metaphor and the example that I want to use here is, is from Lord of the Rings where, where the, the group has to go through the mines of Moira and they don't want to go through there because they know that the elves dug too deep in their greed and unleashed something. And I think that that's what Republicans have done here. That would, you know, in the effort to win majorities that they embraced increasingly, uh, uh, insane candidates that were able to pass some sort of political orthodoxy to make it through a primary mm. in order to win those seats. So I think there's a combination of all of those things that have got here. And as I've been telling people for four years, you know, Trump's not the cause of this, although I can't stand the man. Trump's not the cause of this. He's merely a symptom of a system that has gone off the rails. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and I also think that there is a sense that, you know, I look at this also as a kind of a social scientist, you know, it, society is becoming increasingly complex. It's requiring higher levels of education to navigate. And I think people who lack 
that level of sophistication and education are struggling in 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 this current era and republicans have glommed on to that as a way to create some sense of external boogeyman that is trying to denude people of their place in society so mm -hmm. i think there's a combination of a lot of things that have uh that have contributed to this. And this has been something that has been been moving for, I would say, decades, not just something over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. So so you said something uh, right when we, we started talking. Um, you said you're not sure that the party can be saved. Um, I want to have you talk about that. I also want to have you address whether it should be saved is is the idea uh, that you're working with that hey maybe we need to move on to something different as the representative in our democracy of conservative politics. I, you know I I don't think it can be saved. I think that they've really crossed the Rubicon here. The Republicans have and embraced this what I would call very vocal and very strident anti-intellectualism. I mean, we we have people here who are denying basic facts that are verifiable by any reasonable person walking down the street. And once you've gotten to that point, I don't think you can come back. Um, you're forever going to be that group. And you're free to be that group in this country. God love you. But that doesn't make you right. And that doesn't, you know, make you a force that can affect public policy. You have to remember, I've worked for a lot of really conservative people in my career. Mm -hmm. And some of them I agreed with and some of them I didn't agree with. But at the end of the day, we all went home thinking that we made government work better for the people that enabled that government. We didn't think that we were tearing down government. You know, we didn't wake up and think that people in the LBGTQ community were evil. We thought that Russia was evil. We thought that China was evil. These are the things that we worried about as conservatives. And that's lost. And, and you know, and it's really threatening, I think, our democracy to do that. And so why would we want to save something that has gotten so, so bad? You can't save a bushel of spoiled fruit. You just have to throw it away. So what's the what's the answer to what comes next then, I guess? Uh, hey, you know, I mean, I think what you're, well, the answer to what comes next is going to be a long line of just historic drubbings at the, at the ballot box for Republicans at local races, statewide races. They're going to marginalize themselves uh, to where they're ineffective. And I think in that vacuum, there needs to be something that can can take its place. You know, a time for a party that reflects the the vast majority of where most of Americans are at, which is we believe in some form of government. We think government can do good things. We think that government doesn't do some things well. Um, but we think that the best thing to come about with this is that if you look at our constitution, our constitution was created in a way that forces consensus in order to move forward. Mm -hmm. And and that is really where we've gotten away with. We need to have a party that believes that consensus in reasoned, managed change is the right way to go. Not, you know, 
all in for the right or all in for the left, and we do these litmus tests over political ideology, oh, that's never going to get anything happen. That's why the money is running as as Haley Barber, former chair of the of the National Party, said once, that money is running from these these crazy Republicans like scalded dogs. Mm. And um, and there's a reason for that. It's that people who have money have to work in a society where they reach consensus with one another. They have to enact contracts and come to agreements and give up something to get something. And the people that have taken over the party now, they don't believe that. They've never had to do that in their lives. So why would they do that in their political operation? They believe it's an all or nothing and they would rather die knowing that they died on a hill that where their conscience is pure rather than moving the republic forward mm. and to become it. So I think, you know, I think you're going to see uh, a lot of the moneyed interests uh, that have been backing Republican and Republican activities for the last forever, I guess, really reevaluate how they're going to spend their money. And are, are they going to be spending their money supporting candidates that, you know, are embracing things that are just not supported by reason and and reasonable people, or are they going to move that money into efforts to do that? And I think if there's else, ever yeah. been a time to talk about forming a consensus third party, now is the time to start thinking about that mm. because we've got a ton of Republicans like myself who feel – you know, uh, like a person without a country, right? Yeah, kind of dehomed, right? Um, yeah, you know, we don't have a home. And, you know, the solution is not going to be just vote Democrats. And even though I voted straight Democrat this last election, I voted for a lot of people I strongly disagreed with from a political standpoint. But I felt that it was important not to support any Republican candidate who cottoned these crazy notions of election fraud and denial. Yeah. I just, I can't vote for people. And I think I'm not the only one who thinks this way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Call and tell us what you make of the new leadership in the Michigan GOP, what direction the party is headed, and whether you're worried the way our current guest, Bill Nowling, uh, seems to be about uh, the party and its future. Let's start today with Dave in Detroit. Dave, Hi. welcome to the show. Hey. Yeah, uh, I think that your last caller uh, said it all about how the new uh, direction of the Republican Party, as far as uh, you know, election denial and all that goes, uh, as a uh, uh, precinct delegate for the last three years in the Republican Party in Detroit, uh, I've uh, seen a lot of the uh, frustration in the Republican Party, but how, how could someone who's such a staunch Republican vote Democrat against people that they they disagree with vehemently, but yet they vote for them? So, so tell me what you did uh, in the elections, Dave, last last year, if if uh, if you're comfortable uh, doing that. I, yeah, I I vote in Detroit. Uh, and and so then, <laughs> so you it, don't even have Republicans on your ballot for the most part. <laughs> no, but uh, but I did uh, in the, in the last uh, election, I got seven votes for uh, uh, to be precinct delegate. So there's seven uh, Republicans in in my area mm -hmm. in the east side of Detroit. Mm -hmm. But um, the point I, I was trying to make is that 
the party is, from what I see, is ridding itself of a lot of people who would vote Democrat, you know, and, and wouldn't support the party. And a lot of these donors, these big donors, they give the same amount of money to the Democratic Party as the Republican. Hmm. And they see the Democratic Party, you know, sort of moving ahead and they're going to, and they're just going to cut off sending money to the Republicans. It's as simple as that. So for you, this is kind of a, a, a purity exercise inside the party. Getting, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, and, Dave, and, I, I really appreciate the call and that perspective. Bill, uh, what do you make of his assessment of all of this? Well, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm respectful of people who, who, who question why I would vote straight Democratic ticket for people that I vehemently disagree with because I didn't vehemently disagree with them on this one issue and that they believe that the democracy of this country is far more important than any type of political orthodoxy or purity. And to me, that's what it means to be Americans, that we put those things first. And then after that, we decide and fight out you know, how we're going to run the government. But we're not going to abandon those principles that we stand behind because, well, they're a Democrat. No, the hell with that. I mean, nobody in their reasonable mind thinks that way. Mm. Only extremists think that way. Uh, again, Dave, really appreciate the call uh, and and your your candor about what you feel like is going on inside the party. Let's go next to Terry in Detroit. Terry, welcome to the show. Hey, Steve, how you doing? You and your guests this morning. Good. How are you? All right. Hey, I would like to ask your guest question. If uh, Donald Trump loses in the primary and refuses to uh, concede, what will the uh, Republican do? Republican Party uh, do? How would they be able to win anything? They're not going to be able to win anything. And and if that happens, you know, you're going to have, um, you know, the party's going to fracture around Trump and whoever the nominee is. Um, and they're going to be even that less effective against uh, running against presumably President Biden. I think that he's running for reelection. And, you know, it'll be even more of a cakewalk for him. The, I don't think that... Uh, Republicans would finally see Trump abdicating his role as the party head because he didn't win um, as a reason to abandon him. I mean, in, in a lot of respects, the party now is Trump's party. And even though uh, the current chair was not endorsed by Trump, was endorsed by Trump when she ran for other elections. So we got a Trump endorsed chair, just not the preferred Trump endorsed chair. So. I think you're going to continue to see this, this, um, this play out, and that's a very real possibility that he runs and does not get the nomination and attempts to challenge it all the way to the convention. And that's really what, you know, what will happen because of the way that uh, the way that the nominating process is on the Republican side is that, you know, anybody can challenge the nomination. Um, of anyone at the convention and it's not even settled until the convention decides it. So, yeah. you know, so I think that you're going to see a big convention fight and he could possibly win the nomination at a convention fight where he didn't win the majority of the delegates in the primary battles. Yeah. That's a very real possibility. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, Bill Nowling, a longtime political communication strategist here in Detroit. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Uh, thanks, Stephen. It's great to be here. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, we are going to talk with Republican State Representative Steve Cara about why he voted for Christina Caramo as Republican Party chair this weekend and what he thinks Republicans should do to win more elections here in Michigan. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll include you in the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and I'm really glad You've joined us. As we've been discussing following three rounds of voting during an 11-hour convention on Saturday, the Michigan Republican Party elected Christina Caramo as their newest party chair. One of the people who voted for her at the convention is State Representative Steve Cara, who joins us now to talk about why he thinks she is the right person for the job. Representative Cara, welcome back to Detroit Today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Stephen. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. So let's start here. Why did you vote for Christina Caramo to lead your party? Well, I guess, yeah, I I didn't endorse anybody in the race. There were a lot of good candidates who we had for starters. And uh, But yeah, Christina, I do have a lot of faith in her. Uh, She brings something to the table that is desperately needed in the Republican Party. And that's just being a genuine good person. You know, not only is she a, a good Christian conservative lady, but it's just knowing the general status quo politics from both sides of the aisle, regardless of your regardless of your party affiliation. The corporate elite and the politically connected and the special interest groups stand to gain from politics as usual. And she has a strong grasp and understanding of the corruption that's going on on both sides of the aisle. And to have somebody with that type of uh, vision and perspective, I think, is something that's very healthy for the Republican Party. And I think it's something that would be very healthy for the Democrat Party to have as well. Uh, they're extremely corrupt on the other side of the aisle, just like the Republican Party suffers. So, so when you yeah. say corrupt, be more specific. What corruption are you talking about? Yeah, I think a main one that, pe- that the voters on both sides of the aisle can agree with is that uh, a corporate elite of, say, one company, a paper mill in the Upper Peninsula, getting $200 million in corporate handouts that all other companies don't get the same tax break for, picking those types of winners and losers. Uh, every Democrat voted for that just a couple of weeks ago here in Michigan. And uh, when the Republicans are in control, they tend to vote for the corporate welfare and picking the winners and losers. Uh, having a system that is a uniform system where everybody gets the same uh, same opportunities, not picking winners and losers, is something that we need, regardless of party affiliation. And having somebody like Christina, who is not going to just go along to get along with the status quo and uh, special interest groups, is is something that I think is is very valuable for the party. So, so I want to play a clip of uh, Christina Caramo. Uh, I'm sorry, we don't have that clip, I guess. Um, we, we're working on it. Um, 
I, I want to know more about what attracts you to her, given some of the things that, that she has said, and in particular, some of the things she said about elections and their outcome. This is someone who has not yet conceded her, um, her race from last November, which, according to the results, says she lost by, by 14 points. Um, uh, that, that seems to undermine, of course, the democratic process. I mean, it is a willful effort, I think, to undermine the democratic process. Why do you think somebody who believes that should lead one of the two major parties in the state? So the elections, I believe, have serious problems in them. You know, and this comes from somebody who's won an election lawsuit against Jocelyn Benson. I won an election lawsuit against the secretary of state here in Michigan. And in many circumstances, it still wasn't followed. So laws are being broken from the top of um, of election uh, officials in the state of Michigan, and it's a problem. So I, I think her her point is, regardless of the votes or the alleged vote numbers, there are serious problems with the elections. Laws are being violated. Lawsuits aren't even being are, are being won and aren't even being followed. It's a major problem, and uh, so I, I share that sentiment with her. That doesn't mean that I think that she got more votes than Jocelyn Benson did but that we need to follow the law and not have so much corruption in the elections, just like in, in government in general. So, so first of all, the suit that you won against Jocelyn Benson did not prove any election fraud took place. We should be really clear about that. It was about a, a, a technical matter about how elections are administered. Um, but, but do you not believe that when you lose – uh, a race, lose an election, that you should concede as part of uh, respect for the process, that that uh, that the democracy can't hold if we don't have faith in the in the outcome. So so I, I, I'm going to push you a little to 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 be more specific about uh, the, the election denial narrative that has hold of a lot of the Republican Party. Do you not see that as damaging to, to the very causes that I know you believe in? Well, I think that the elections and the uh, confidence in them are extremely damaged, and rightfully so. I mean, we saw this is bipartisan. Hillary Clinton in 2016, uh, Democrats were up in arms about election issues. and 2020, Republicans were. Uh, this is a problem that's coming from both sides of the aisle. And Although I don't believe there was fraud done through the uh, through the machines, I believe it's through the absentee ballot process, which we know she violated. You know the law with the signature verification process being relaxed, um, so that you know with the absentee ballot applications being sent out unsolicited, that creates a system that's absolutely ripe for fraud. Uh, so that whole atmosphere was created, and um, there's other dynamics we could get into the elections further if we want to focus on just one issue. Um, but there's much more to Christina Caramo than just her stance on elections. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, she, I think she's a great lady on other issues, and, uh, and, and I believe in her as a person. Mm-hmm. And having someone like that lead the party is, is extremely valuable, and I would encourage that type of person for the Democrat Party. Yeah. But, you know, we've got – and it's not the party, but you got Gretchen Whitmer, Joe Tate, and Winnie Brinks as the three leaders of the you know, governor's mansion, the House, and the Senate – 
And the three of them believe in corporate welfare immensely. They love picking winners and losers. They love redistributing wealth to the bookly connected and the corporate elite. So if that's what the people of Michigan want is to take a step back and say, hey, you know what I want to have happen for my state government is to have them give hundreds of millions of dollars to the corporate elite. Well, then Gretchen Whitmer, Jote, and Winnie Branks are your people. But if you want free markets, equal opportunity, then you're going to need people who are going to challenge the system, like Christina Cromwell, like myself, and even people like Dylan Wegela. He's a Democrat on the other side, but he opposes corporate welfare. And I certainly appreciate that. He was the only Democrat to stand against it. You know he what? Stood up to Gretchen Whitmer. You know, one of, the, one of the really interesting things about what you're saying is that, uh, you know, you're right about this connection between uh, some on, on the right and many on the left, the frustration with things like tax credits and, and subsidies and, and things that, that are uh, corporate welfare. It's one of the kind of interesting uh, connections, I guess, on the on the far ends of the spectrum. Um, but I'm glad I'm glad you're here to to, to make that case. Uh, I want to go to the phones, uh, Steve, just for a little bit here. Mrs. Jones in East Point. Mrs. Jones, go ahead. Uh, good morning. Uh huh. I just wanted to um, comment on. <clears throat> excuse me. The first caller, the Republican gentleman that stated that yes, he was a Republican and he was not fond of. Donald Trump. I want to first say thank you for your honesty, because there's not a lot of uh, Republicans that are willing to admit that. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I want to say I have been Democratic and I voted for the Democratic uh, Repo- excuse me, Democratic Party, and I would vote for a Republican and crossover if I felt that Republican had my best interest and the best interest of everyone else. When I vote, I don't just vote for myself. I vote for my children, my future. I vote for my ancestors that did not have the right to vote. And I also vote for everyone in America. So if it is a Republican candidate that is going to be the best candidate, whether it's a he or she, I will vote for them if I feel they have the interest of everyone. And when it comes to the Republican Party, the thing that I have a problem with is the fact that what we spoke about earlier, what you have spoke about, the denial of the election fraud Mm -hmm. and um, the violence that has come out of it. Mm -hmm. I feel like the reason why they're pulling this woman right now for their candidate is because they know they need this trick bag in order to get out of what they're in now. So Mrs. Jones, are you, what did you think of Christina Caramel? You said you're somebody who would be open to, to voting for a Republican if, if they represented the right things. Do you, do you feel like Christina Caramel is, is that kind of person? Well, I have mixed emotions about her, (laughs) just like I have mixed emotions about the governor of Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't, per se, vote for Gretchen Whitmore the first time, okay? But some views that she had, I I agree with, and Mm -hmm. some views she had, I don't agree with, and I'm Democratic. So at the end of the day, um, I'm between two states. Sometimes I'm in Texas, which is a Republican state. I live there, and I live here in Michigan, which is a Democratic state. So I see the difference between a Democratic state and um, the reform and the fact that they continue to go on throughout the pandemic. They're building. They're constantly doing things. And here we have been set back. So, so, so I, I, I want to. I don't want. I don't mean to cut you off, Mrs. Jones, but I want to get to a couple more callers. I really appreciate uh, the call and the really, really thoughtful um, approach that you're taking to all of this. Um, I want to go next to Robert in Detroit. Robert, uh, quickly, uh, what's up? Hi, um, I, I just 
I, I agree with this picking winners and losers is bad on both sides, but I keep hearing about uh, we're a Christian nation and Christian nationalism, and then I hear about dividing red states and, and blue states, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And when I hear that, you know, uh, Karamo is a good Christian, well, I'm a Christian also, and, and I don't believe that we should take away people's uh, voting rights or that we should say that, you know, if you support LGBTQ that you should not be able to vote and stuff like that. That's a really scary idea. Yeah. Um, uh, so are we picking Christians only? Robert, I, I, I appreciate the, the call and the thoughts there. Uh, Steve Caro, we've got about two minutes left. Uh, I want to have you address what uh, our callers are saying here. Yeah. So uh, as a Christian, I appreciate that Christina Caramo is a Christian as well. But I also I've got a very libertarian streak in me. I mean, I, I my hero is Ron Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I come out of a minimal government. It's your pursuit of your happiness as long as you're not infringing on somebody else's rights. And if it's LGBT movement is from the concept of, you know, you're free to do what you want as long as it's with other consenting adults. That's one thing. But if it's jamming it down your throats and not teaching our kids reading, writing and arithmetic, but instead indoctrinating them in the schools and, and breaking apart the family unit and destroying Christianity, well, no, I'm not in support of that. See, I, I'm not in support but of that. there's nobody really pushing that, Steve. I mean, what, what people other are talking public, about is respect. Other than the public, school, other than the public It's respect for everybody and respecting everyone's are. rights. I mean, you and I have had this argument before. I, 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 really, I really think that's a, a, the public a dishonest way of – they are not pushing that. What they're pushing they is that you are. may not discriminate against people for who they are, which, which has been allowed, by the way, in public schools and in other public settings for most of our history. What people are saying is enough of that. Our our schools are failing our kids horribly. They are, but not for that reason, and that's not what's happening. (laughs) I've been in the schools. I've visited them. I've seen it. It's it's awful. It's awful what they're doing to these poor kids. By by telling them that they shouldn't discriminate against people for who they are? That's awful? By by making some people feel guilty just because of the color of their skin, and other people feel like they're a victim just because of the color of their skin. Well, historically, historically, Steve, well, because I'm African American, I haven't had the same rights as you have uh, that you've had. My parents certainly didn't. My grandparents absolutely didn't. And teaching that is not teaching that uh, that you're guilty. It is teaching that we all have a responsibility to make sure that doesn't continue. Right. And we should we should all be treated equally because we're humans, and we should look at it from that perspective instead of guilting and shaming people. Well, yeah, if you don't know history, better. Steve, you're doomed to repeat it. That's the one of the oldest ideas uh, in, in, in our nation, right? There's nothing wrong with teaching what happened uh, and what happened not a long a time ago, what happened recently. I mean, it's not as though these are ancient uh, uh, events that have nothing to do with today, they shape our reality. We need to focus on the reading, writing, and arithmetic, and if any individual, regardless of the color of their skin, <laughs> they should not be treated yeah. improperly. Yeah, fair enough. That's, I, that's, I, that's I appreciate, hey, Steve, you know, I, I really do appreciate you coming on and having uh, this debate as honestly as you do with me. Obviously, we disagree, but I do really respect uh, uh, your position and and your willingness to come in uh, onto the show and and talk about it. Uh, but yep. we are we are out of time today. But uh, I, I do hope you'll join us again in the future to talk more about Michigan politics. Steve, thanks for yep. being with us. Thanks for having me. Freedom yep. is always the answer. <laughs> I agreed. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Come on tomorrow, come back tomorrow, and we're going to talk with City Council President Mary Sheffield about tax captures. Uh, so one of the things that we were just talking about with Representative 
Steve Cara. This is 1019 WDTFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.